Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why is the guy in the black shirt such an Islamic terrorism apologist? Monday, which means it's time for the Front Free Football Podcast with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Lawrence, how are you doing? This could be my favourite podcast of the season. Really? Wow. The only, the only thing it's going to lack is Dave O'Brien, and I mm. still think we should just get Dave on for a second just to say something. I feel like you've set the bar too high. You're setting expectations too high here. There's no way we can surely live up to it. Think about the ingredients of this podcast. Mm-hmm. A, ch- a fine in their a Champions League final. Mm-hmm. Transfer rumours. Transfer banner. The yeah. promise of next season mm. integrated into one podcast. Mm. And the idea that someone can spend £60 million on Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually quite excited now. Now you've put it like that. No, I'm, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, Chris, do you think we can we can live up to the, these high expectations Lawrence has set? Yeah, Definitely. Wow, confidence, I like it. Um, subbing in for Dave, who, as Lawrence said, isn't here today, is, of course, the super sub himself, Nico Morales. Welcome back. Wow. Thanks for having me. Glad to, glad to be on. Are you excited to be on the greatest podcast of the season, apparently, as of now? You know, I was, I was having a pretty average day, and then I got to hear Lawrence McKenna pre-podcast um, <laughs> ranting about things, so that was always fun. So. The hype is real, yeah. The, Lawrence gets... You get a lot of messages, Lawrence. So you get a lot of feedback from, uh, from people who maybe watch other podcasts or other content you know you get a lot of a lot of messages in the inbox i've uh i've today discovered that the instagram app has uh a limit to how many messages you can receive in one day <laughs> how how many what's that limit uh 90 it just says 99 plus and then it just cuts off after yeah. that stops counting um, it just and one of the last messages just says do your own research man i'm sure you'll come to the exact same conclusions and then he sent me a uh, 9-11 truther video yeah as so, you do as you, do you, it's, do one, you get, it's do, one of those days do you get nice messages do you get nice messages? oh loads oh okay. good, honestly good. i get i get so so many a lot of people when you reply uh, it's quite sweet i mean we all have the same experience when you know like we're not famous or anything we just sort of we all have the same experience and uh, a lot of people just say thanks for replying which I think is quite nice oh they just like the fact that you've taken the time out of your day to respond to their, their message it means something to uh, yeah I mean it, it, it means something I think that's why I quite like the tier 3 people is because they all seem quite grateful oh isn't it nice um, we will be getting to some questions later on good to have from- you back Adam Thank you. Uh, we'll be getting to some questions there on from the TF3 people um, about the transfer banner, about you know bits and bobs, the UEFA Champions League final as well, which is probably where we should start. 4-1 on the night. Real Madrid triumphing. What is this one called? The Dua Decima or something Dua like that? Dua Decima. We're, st- we're still doing that? Yeah, cool. Um, first team ever to win back-to-back Champions League titles. Let's break it down a little bit, Nico. Let's talk tactically about this game. Where is one or lost? Let's talk about the first half. I mean, Juventus seemed to start stronger. They seemed to edge it in those first 45 minutes, did they not? Yeah, almost uh, as sort of the, the days go on and I get to really process the game, I almost think it was almost sort of an, an allowance uh, to some extent what, what Juventus were allowed to do, considering, um, you know, like I've said many times, is that Juventus like to progress their possession through their uh, wing backs or full backs, whatever you want to call them. The system is sort of a hybrid between a, a three and a four back. 
Um, but they really like to progress their their possession through Danny Alves, and the reason for that is because since Mario Mandzukic plays uh, a left wing sort of second striker type of position with the lopsided formation that it is, that the service, the aerial service that someone like Danny Alves can bring panders towards, um, I guess, the balls coming in from that side, um, considering it's it's very difficult to deal with someone like Mandzukic on the back post, and then he can tap it down to Iguain and, and link up well with Dybala as well. Um, but Real didn't really allow that, and and there was more success down the left hand side, and Juventus were happy to take that. But the the service from Alexandra, although it wasn't necessarily faulted on his end, um, it didn't put Mandzukic in a in a favorable favorable position. Um, and even the first goal, you know, was sort of an Alexandro uh, cross to to Iguain, who then gave it to Mandzukic, and he had he had a lot to do. And it was one of the best goals I think that we've seen in in a Champions League final in a long, long time. But um, it was sort of difficult for Juventus to create ch- the chances that they that they wanted to, at least for their their main man in Gonzalo Iguain, with um, the majority of their attacks coming down the left hand side. He seems to be a bit quiet uh, on the night, but in that second half, um, what changed? Because Real Madrid took complete control after the break. Yeah, so I think one of the, the the main things that people really forget is that when you play a 4-4-2, there's really only two central midfielders. And so Real played that narrow diamond with Isco. And with that you know, in mind, they have Isco, Toni Kroos, Casimiro, and uh, Luka Modric, which is four midfielders against what is essentially two in Kadir and Pjanic. And so they were outnumbered in midfield, and that really allowed Toni Kroos from a deeper position, from sort of the whole... Um, in uh, Juventus' formation behind Dani Alves, right in front of Andrea Barzagli, to charge into that space, distribute well, and that really caused a lot of problems for Real Madrid. And he was sort of a. Uh, I think I think it's easy to um, not necessarily see right away what Tony Cruz does for a team, but you, you can't ignore um, how immense he was uh, for Real in this final when everybody was looking towards Isco to do a little bit more. And I don't necessarily think that's all his fault that he wasn't as prominent as maybe people expected him to be. I think that was. Part partially by design from Juventus, but players like Modric and Cruz from deeper positions, breaking those lines with passes and, and such to those forwards, you know, they, they were immense. So I think it's really um, Tony Cruz's ability to, to not only, you know, p- teams and players and coaches have figured out how good he is in a central position for him to go further back and sort of the left-hand side. He's a, he does it for Germany as well for him to do that and to figure that out and still be as effective as he is during these massive games speaks to his credit, you know, as a player as to how intelligent he is in, in evolving his game. Is that where the game was won then, Lawrence, in that midfield? I mean, Nico mentions Tony Cruz there. Of course, Luka Modric, arguably the man of the match. Casemiro as well. People talking about this as the best midfield in the world. Was this the engine behind this success? I think it was obviously the engine. I was I think there was a lot of um, space afforded to that midfield. But I was, I was almost disappointed to an extent with how Juventus managed to deal with that. Um, and not only, I, I don't only think it's sort of the, the matchups directly to them. I also think closing down the space they were passing into, it seemed quite clear at times that the fullbacks uh, on for Juventus didn't have uh, really the, the, the right game plan to deal with the passing into that space. Um, and the times when they need to make Juventus look a little bit more expansive, they didn't necessarily do that. I think D- Danny Alves will definitely be disappointed with his game, actually. Um, and I think... Uh, the, the, there's an element that um, Juve, weirdly, it looked as if they'd switched off. And what I mean by that is it it seemed that normally I think their system or the way they were set up would deal with that. Um, but for some weird reason, they didn't deal very well with what seemed like the kind of thing that a Juve team could actually deal with. Because it wasn't actually particularly... Um, it was... It, how can I put it? It... Uh, it's not a blunt attack, but it is. It seemed quite obvious what Real Madrid were doing. Um, what I did find quite interesting was that they, and I'm not saying Arsenal are responsible for this, but they did take a somewhat Arsenal approach, and they bide their time, bide their time, and then there was a very quick move, and out of nowhere, Ronaldo would be in the right position. Um, and I think it was a really great way of dealing with this Juventus team. You know, you can pass and get into the right spaces, but you are very good at closing that space up and letting you have the space, and that you have. Uh, the space they want you to have and even if you want to have say a space in between the lines they'll still let you have that because there's always more to come and I think they exploited um, the fact that Juve get into a rhythm and Real Madrid disrupted that rhythm very very well in this game The fact is Nico that Juventus conceded more goals in this game than they had in their previous 12 in this competition it's quite a statistic when you think about it is was it a mistake? Was there an oversight on, on Allegri's part in managing this game? Or was this simply the, the incredible attack of Madrid sort of blew away 
what essentially is an aging defense for Juventus as good as they have looked in the previous stages. I think it's easy to to maybe sort of look to Allegri as to where he fell short, and I think there are certainly things that he could have done better. But at the same time, you know, this Real Madrid is is the perfect combination of immense individual quality with some really intelligent tactics. I mean, the way that I, I think a lot of the analysis for Real Madrid is overshadowed by the magnitude of their players, you know, with the likes of Ronaldo and Bale and Benzema and all these guys being superstars and all the narrative being sort of around, maybe not necessarily their personal lives, but things off the field more than on it. Um, the approach that Zidane takes with his no-nonsense possession game, I guess as I like to call it, is that there isn't much risk in it, but that's because it, it gives the players the best opportunity to use their individual qualities to change the game. Like Lawrence said, you know, it, it seemed like there was nothing really going on for Real Madrid, and then in a second it would be an incredible chance. And I think that Real, the Real Madrid side, this Real Madrid side is very good at doing that, is that it's not necessarily a possession system that positionally takes a lot of risks. You know, it, it doesn't look to be countered on very often because they're not making very risky passes, but they have the individual quality to put themselves in positions to finish extremely difficult chances like the first Ronaldo goal although it was deflected was an extremely difficult chance to even put on target from that far out and he did that and and the second Ronaldo goal as well so it's a system that that is incredible and and Dave's you know Dave said on his podcast that it's possibly one of the best squads ever assembled and I almost have to agree with that because this Juventus team are no pushovers and and just look what they did to them I've got to admit certainly can I just say one thing the the quote also very interesting. Something along the lines of, I think it was in another language, but translated, it was something like, uh, "One minute he looks like he's asleep, and the next thing he's scored." Um, and I do find that quite interesting because I think you know, Dave and I have, I think Dave and I have discussed this on uh, the tier three video that's going to be out this week. But it's basically, uh, you know, Ronaldo is a leader of a different sort for this team, um, and you know, he's not he's not the messy leader that I think a lot of people. Uh, look at him and, and evaluate him as, I and mean, he's he's also like before. I compare him more to a, a Jordan type character, but it's different now because actually he lets a lot of the legwork and the other work be done for him. And I wonder how much of that is down to Zidane calming him down a little bit in uh, in his age. Hmm, a lot's been made about how Zidane has sort of you know uh, convinced him almost to to rest at certain points of the season to to come back stronger when it matters. I mean, we've seen how quiet he was in the group stages and in these knockout rounds, he's been sensational. He's what the first player ever to score in free Champions League final. I think is the stat now. Um, talking about Zidane though, Chris, I mean, obviously it is an incredible achievement back to back Champions League for the first time ever. Um, first manager to, to do that in 26 years in the European cup. In terms of what Nico sort of touched on there, I mean, John Kazia writes in a question, where is the love for Zidane? If it was Pep winning trophy after trophy, everyone would shout his praises. Do you think, I mean, I read an article in the Independent today, it was by uh, Miguel Delaney. He sort of seemed to suggest that there's a perception that there's a lack of philosophy that perhaps has defined other teams who have dominated Europe in the past, you know, potentially Barcelona, the tiki-taka style, Ajax in the 70s with total football. Do you think that is something that... Uh, is right to beat Zidane with that perhaps there is a lack of identity or, or elsewise that defines this team? I, I think what it is, I think the, the person who asked the question, I didn't catch the name, makes a valid point about Zidane. The, the thing to compare him with, with Guardiola for a second, Guardiola came into to Barcelona as the, the former son who'd done time with the B team and, as you say, had this ideology. I don't think Zidane has such a clear blueprint. I think he's a little bit more adaptable with what he wants to do. But I think at the same time, he's coming at a very different period. So I think when Guardiola arrived at Barcelona, there was scope to change. And I think actually, if you look back, the changes that he made, the players he phased out and those that he brought in, it was seen as quite revolutionary. Whereas Zidane didn't really have to do that. He didn't have to throw everything out when he came into this job. But it was a difficult job in, in different ways because the standard was still impeccably high. Ancelotti had delivered La Decima. So you had to continue that tradition while also accepting that what Rafa Benitez had tried to do hadn't worked at all. So I think it's a different kind of it's a different kind of job, first and foremost. It's a different kind of pressure. And I think, yeah, he, he doesn't have 
a very clearly defined style or ethos that you could see him taking to a number of different clubs like Guardiola's done with Bayern and Man City. I don't think that makes him a lesser manager, though. And that's why I agree with whoever asked the question, because I think actually <clears throat> what it means to me is, is that Zidane has perfectly grasped not just on the pitch what you have to do using the likes of Modric and Cruz and Carvajal and these players that maybe don't grab the headlines in, in marker and ass in important ways. He's also seemed to grasp the politics of things. And I think that's because he's been there so long. He was a player, sporting director, all this kind of thing. And I and I think, honestly, at this point, I think Florentino Perez even said it, that he can, can stay there as long as he likes. I, I mean, I think you'd be mad at this point to consider any other outcome because not only is he winning on the field for them, but it was him that organised a trial for Mbappe of 14. So he clearly has an eye for talent as well. And when you've got a manager, I'm talking purely as, as Real Madrid here, when you've got a coach that not only gets all the off-field you know, guff that comes with being at Real Madrid, but can also put a team on, can handle the pressure, which I think he's done exceptionally well, and find your talent, I, I think you've got to nail that down for as, as long as you can. The, the only curiosity I have for Real Madrid now is if things maybe don't go so swimmingly next year, how they handle that. Because I think it's very easy to support a coach when things are going right. It's when it's going wrong is, is the test of the relationship. That's the interesting thing, isn't it, Nico? Because Real Madrid for the last number of years have seemed to be a club in chaos almost. You know, Florentino Perez, as Chris mentioned there, someone who's sacked countless managers. Uh, it was criticised the decision to sack Rafa Benitez and bring in Zidane in the first place. But yet, it's three Champions League titles in four seasons now. Where do you see this going next year? How do they build on this cycle of success? Is it something that can be sustained? Yeah, I definitely think it's something that can be sustained with the current crop of players that they have. Um, I th but I think that's one of the most difficult things is to look at a, a side that's so successful and has so few fallacies within it and, and go ahead and try to improve upon that. That's probably um, the most difficult thing that any club can do. But I think Real Madrid, with the way that they've run themselves, both on and off the field in terms of a marketing perspective as well as a personnel perspective, will definitely be able to do so as to how they can do that. I, I'm not exactly sure. I think getting rid of, of someone like James Rodriguez, who's obviously not happy at the club, is definitely a start. And that would bring in a, pen, a pretty penny, um, considering how, how, you know, how attractive he is to a number of clubs across Europe. Um, but in, in terms of uh, in terms of enhancing the current crop of players, I think they have some solid youth players, um, even Enzo Zidane, which is obviously his son, was included in the in the squad for the final. And he's someone that actually looks pretty promising and, and not I think not just someone that that's been promoted to the the senior team late on um, through you know through the fact that his father is the coach. I think he's actually someone that's pretty good al along with uh, Asensio and, and a few other guys that have graduated from Castilla. And that's another benefit from having Zidane as coach. You know he he operated as the Castilla manager um, when Ancelotti was there as as well as previous to that. So he has plenty of experience with these players that are coming through the youth ranks. So I think maybe we'll even see some youth promotion from Real Madrid in in uh, in his son and other players. What about Juventus, Chris? Obviously, dominant domestically six Scudettos in a row. Once again, they failed in a European final, though. Um, you know, a lot was made before the game about how this was Buffon's chance at the age of 39 to finally add this trophy to his cabinet. Uh, some talk now that, you know, that back line was looking his age or made to look his age against Real Madrid. Perhaps some should be moved on. There should be a, a new era almost ushered in at Juventus. What do they need to do to, to take that next step uh, and succeed in Europe, not only in their own league? It's difficult because the mind jumps towards just spending money, but I don't think that's realistically possible. I think the problem they have here is they were a little bit out of thought because you look at the the defence, yes, up until this point, everyone, self-included, said it was a great defence. It dealt a lot with crosses, and I think that was the difference, was that Zidane or Real Madrid, whoever's idea it was, <clears throat> worked out that if you could get down the sides of, of the centre-backs, that would be a, a way to, to potentially work on it. And I think Modric even touched on that, that they adapted the way they attacked to make it so that they weren't just throwing in crosses to the box because they realised that that wasn't going to achieve anything. I think 
the history with the competition makes it difficult because it's easy to get emotional. I mean, Del Piero said in '98 that they thought the the competition was cursed for Juventus, and you know this this latest loss probably doesn't diminish that feeling anymore. I th- I think right now they need to be a little bit patient. The the Higuain the problem with the Higuain deal is he has been pretty barnstorming in Serie A and has done what he needed to there. But I think at, at the time, everyone agreed a big reason they did that deal was the Champions League. And again, you have to say, really didn't pull up any trees in, in the game. Dybala, I thought, looked a little bit overawed by the occasion. But again, he's still exceptionally young, so you would say he's got time. I, I think I think part of it comes in just trying to, to maybe use that money a bit. Not shrewd, because I mean, they've been so clever in the transfer market but when it comes to those game changes I just don't see them having one I don't see them having that Ronaldo type character I mean Alves said it about Dybala that he he reminded him of Messi because yes he had immense talent but he also had the desire to conquer the, the world that will take time to nurture I think to the point that it needs to be and so can you wait that long realistically not so you have to try and get a player that is of that ilk right now, that's easier said than done. You see how much Ronaldo would potentially command even now, even though he's not the player that that joined Real Madrid. He's a, a very different one altogether. I mean, we probably should finish with a word on Cristiano Ronaldo, Lawrence, who Chris mentioned there. Um, the first player to score in three Champions League finals, his fourth Champions League title, uh, almost certain now, I'd say, to win uh, a fifth Ballon d'Or, bring him level with Messi. Fittingly, um, just how is this guy going from strength to strength? 32 right now. A lot of people were, were writing him off just a few years ago, saying they could never see him winning another Ballon d'Or. Um, what is, how is he continuing to to set these records, to set the world alight? Essentially? I think it's also partly due to the fact that he's slightly changed his position down the years. I mean, we've referenced it a lot before, Chris and Dave, especially on the podcast, about how Ronaldo's changed. Um, positions and so he's not only sort of changed his style which I think is important as well but he's also changed whereabouts he plays and I think um, you know there's a lot of credit that's got to go to that because it's harder to do that than you might think a lot of people drop deeper Um, you he he does from time to time look like the old Ronaldo you know he picks the ball up in a sort of left wing or a right wing position more likely left wing and looks to run at a defender, but very often it's about getting the overlap or creating space for other people in doing that. Um, I think he's become more tactically aware. Um, he's maybe also learned some lessons from the fact that in the past he maybe did try and put the team on his back, um, and that just didn't serve them very well. Um, and maybe now he does have that trust in the team that we've been talking about. So um, I think that's where the parallels with someone like Michael Jordan come um, in the Michael Jordan always got the best out of some other players around him, not only in his approach and the way that he led the team, but also in the way that he played, he created space for those other players and also gave those guys end product. He gave them an outlet. He gave whoever's crossing him the ball, someone who's more than able to get onto what might look like a bad ball from another player. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of, it must be quite empowering to play alongside Ronaldo because you're working with someone who is going to work very hard to get to where you want to be. And he's what, what is interesting about him is he doesn't necessarily look like a striker who's expecting um, service anymore. He doesn't look like that frustrated kid. He looks like a leader. And I think that's a fascinating evolution for a player who before maybe looked all the things that we criticize him for, petulant, etc. Well, 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 well. There you have it, guys. That is the... Champions League reviewed. Should we move on to some uh, transfer banner, transfer talk? I'd love to. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Let's start uh, with the, the great news, I think it's fair to say, that a couple of transfer sagas that could have stretched out all summer, um, that could have become incredibly insipid, uh, seem to be over. Lawrence. Uh, first off, we've got Antoine Griezmann, uh, heavily linked with a move to Manchester United. It's not happening, you know? Atletico Madrid's transfer ban has been upheld. Griezmann himself has come out and said he'll be at the club next season, saying it would be a dirty move to leave the club after the news uh, that the transfer ban uh, was continuing. Uh, this is great news. Isn't it? We can he can say whatever he wants. I mean, if, I mean if he, yeah, I mean, he definitely can. It just means that's going to shift to another player. Um he can say when the player decides to stay, then I'm sure they could. Uh, they then sort of choose to rub the fans' egos a little bit, and also maybe rub their own. You know, I'm not a dirty guy. You know, I'm the I'm the kind of guy who sticks around. We wouldn't have entertained it then in the first place, um, or maybe you would have. I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't have so publicly entertained it. Um, uh, I'm sure six he, out of ten. He said he said six out six out of ten. Some people now saying that was him trolling um, because United <laughs> finished sixth. Um, you know, I mean, I guess we'll maybe, see, won't maybe. we? Uh, at the same time, uh, it's great news for Atletico. It's it's also great news for sort of the spread um, or the more even spread of talent throughout Europe. There's something quite satisfying about a player sticking with a team um, as opposed to taking the big transfer. And some would even argue that if you convince a player to stay, that's sometimes as big as um, getting one of those big transfers. I think Liverpool sort of yeah. saw the benefits of that in previous years. Uh, it's also... Arguably, it feels though, like he's staying not out of some uh, loyalty, but just necessity. Just like, wow, well, probably can't leave now. Can I? Probably should stick around, be a bit. Well, harsh to leave. I, mean, I suppose you could. You could interpret it. You could interpret it or paint it either way. I suppose you could also say this is an exciting time for Atletico Madrid. Um, you know, a club who are looking to grow. Uh, you know, there are parallels between them and a number of other sides who are looking to grow at the moment. Um, in in the sense they've got this brand new stadium. It's a very exciting transitional year. It, there's also something there that if if, the, if everyone's moving on, it must feel very difficult to move away from that as a project. I guess the it's them that will also speak somewhat to whether Simeone is uh, staying or going. I'm just glad it's over. That's what I'm trying to say. There is another one that's over as well, by the looks of it. Uh, Eden Hazard, you know, linked to a hundred million pound move to uh, to Real Madrid. Chris um, turns out he's, he's fractured. You've broken his... your ankle, can you? Yeah, he's broken his ankle uh, on international duty. He's out for three months. Chelsea have confirmed tonight. Uh, that's the end of that one, isn't it? That's not another. That's another one that's not going to be dragging out all summer. Yeah, I think they'll go for Mbappe now, or they'll try. Hundred million is it for Mbappe? They're going to hundred and thirty. That's uh, so. That's going to be. <laughs> this is going to be the saga, as Lauren says. The t- the, tra- the target just changes, and that's going to be the saga that rolls on all summer now, is it? I, I mean, I would imagine so. He, he, like I like I said there before, he, he's got previous with Real Madrid. He went there um, as a fourteen year old, grew up idolizing Cristiano Ronaldo. So I can't imagine it's a, it's a tough job to convince him. I think the thing with him is he's, he's talked about wanting to stay at Monaco for another year. And develop because I think it's a, a slightly safer incubator for his talent in, in Monaco than, than Real Madrid. Um, with that said, another year you, you have to think if he performs to this level or if, if he even drops slightly, this has to potentially be the peak point for his transfer fee if I'm, if I'm Monaco. So do you look to cash in on him now when you know you can make the most money? It's it's very much a, a machine with a lot of moving parts, this one. Are Monaco going to have any players left after the summer, Nico? Yeah, it's an interesting one. They're obviously a really talented team, and they have a, a number of players that, you know, specifically Manchester City may, may be looking to pick off, as well as uh, a ton of other 
Premier League sides, you know, players like Thomas Lamar, Benjamin Mendy, obviously Bernardo, Bernardo Silva's already left for Manchester City. Uh, Mendy's supposed to be joining him. Um, but, you know, you, you would hope that with everything they, they've achieved, sometimes you see these these potentially great teams with a host of young players or at least younger players um, not really achieve anything and then leave. But, you know, they, they've won the, the, the league in France. And so you would have hoped that maybe that, that might have convinced a few players to stay. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past uh, Monaco to maybe sell a couple more key players, honestly, considering the the fees that are being rumored, the the deficiencies that maybe a club like Manchester United have in have in midfield, or I guess the the players that they'd like to go out after, like uh, Fabinho or Bakayoko. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how Monaco cope with the losses of of such key players, specifically only if they lose maybe Bernardo Silva. You know, who's such an immense player for them last year. Um, it's definitely gonna be interesting to see how they recover from that. Let's talk about Liverpool, shall we, Lawrence? A uh, lot mm. of transfer banter around Anfield at the moment. Um, let's start with tonight's Well, mate, it's, ban- it's banter if it's a joke, isn't it? No, it's just all, I mean, all transfer news is banter, therefore, surely. It's all, I mean, this one's based on Sky Sources. Uh, well, yeah, what does it even mean? Point. If, it's you until know? they're holding the, the shirt that I don't believe oh, yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? It's the same as but, being on the, but, even when they're holding the shirt, I'm sort of like, well, it'll be going <laughs> said, John, be honest, Yeah, I've got my doubts. Yeah. Uh, Virgil van Dijk is on his way to Liverpool, Lawrence. Sky sources, the fabled Sky sources, saying he was so impressed with the charisma, the attitude of Jurgen Klopp. He said, you know what, Man City? No, thank you. He said, you know what, Chelsea? No, I'm going to Liverpool. Sign me up. Do what needs to be done. Let's agree the contract. Are you excited, Lawrence? You need defensive reinforcements. The Dutchman, he's a great defender. Some are saying the best defender in the Premier League. Uh, Gary Coles saying, would you rather have Virgil van Dijk or Toby Alderweireld in your team? I mean, it's an obvious answer. Um, it is Virgil van Dijk, clearly. Really? That's what you're saying? No, I'm, I'm saying it for the you transfer mean, banter, said. Adam. Um, All right, sorry, I forgot. Uh, what, what was the question? <laughs> Are you happy, potentially, if the Sky sources can indeed be trusted, that Virgil van Dijk is on his way to Anfield? Is this a news that fills you with unbridled joy? Bernardo Silva. 43 million? Some, something like that, yeah. Edison? 35 million? For everything else, so. there's Jurgen Klopp. Um, I mean, I, I think that you could spin, you can probably spin this both ways. It's, it's, it's so much money, and I mean so much money to spend on any central defender. Um, I think it's, it, obviously it's an inflated price, because this is the BBC, Phil McNulty of the BBC is saying the, the fee could be in excess of 50 million, right? In excess, just well, that, just that means more than Adam. That's almost, I know, yeah. I mean, um, you know, 50 million is pretty, pretty out there, but I mean, 50 million is pretty out there. If Liverpool believe, um, that he, you know, he's going to be there for a long time, then you know, I suppose that they'll see it as worth it in a way. Uh, we're beginning to get to the point of, um, you know, sort of American uh, levels of money, if you like. I mean, you know, if you get to MLB, um, you know, they spend a lot over the lifetime of contracts. And I, I guess we're seeing uh, the commitment somewhat of the owners if they are willing to spend 60 million and then 35 million on two players in the summer. I think we're showing how serious they take the project and how seriously they take Jurgen Klopp. You know, you wouldn't back any manager, just any manager with a 60 million. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, I think these are guys who have been looking at the money ball idea. Um, and I just wonder why that's maybe run out of legs or maybe they found a finance, um, a, an analytic system which can justify a 60 million spend. Um, I'll be interested to see who they're pairing with, whether it's Matip or whether it's Lovren, uh, whether it's Joe Gomez, maybe it sort of spells, spells the end for Joe Gomez's career at Liverpool. Um, uh, you, you can probably, you know, it, it's very difficult to paint a new transfer negatively, but spending £60 million on a player certainly does seem excessive. But he, oh, they're, they're they're short just the craps gold eggs every day. <laughs> they're in but they are, I mean, uh, the centre-backs are in short supply at the moment. Um, and I still don't think he's worth that, even in that, even in the current market, I don't think he's worth that. I, th- I think it also speaks to how desperate Liverpool are to solve and have a solution at centre-back. But uh, that's not really the solution for me. He's going to need a lot of coaching, I think. 
Yeah, he, he probably is, yeah. Um, and I, I, th- I think if I can just speak to the Van Dyke thing as well, I mean, I think a lot of people are not necessarily upset. Maybe Liverpool fans feel like the, the biggest thing that they need is sort of defensive reinforcements and, and the first position that they land on is sort of centre-backs because they, they feel un, or full-back as well and because they sort of feel dissatisfied with the performances of Dejan Lovren as well as maybe someone like Milner or other scapegoats. But I really don't think that's that's the defensive problem for Liverpool. I think you can buy one of the best centre-backs in the world for Liverpool and it still wouldn't make that big of a difference because this the defensive problems within Liverpool's system are, are systematic and they're not personal. Yeah, although some people are going to argue that um you know that it the system within which you're playing that player maybe makes a difference. You know, obviously it's the personnel as well that execute that system. Um I just see, don't think there's much of a difference between how Dejan Lovren will be able to s- to perform in that system as opposed to Virgil van Dijk. And then if it's, if it, like you said, if it's, if it, it's, a, it's a difference between 50 and 60 million for minor differences, then, then what are you spending on? Um, do you, I mean, do you, you, what you're sort of saying is you, well, you're sort of under, undermining the entire transfer system in that, in that case then, because what you're, you're, you're taking away the idea of a, a, buying a talent or buying someone who, the manager believes is suited to the club, at which point you you just stick to your academy. I, I maybe not say that, but I think the money is better spent elsewhere. I think as I'm, I'm, as much it's, as yeah, maybe yeah, someone... I, I, I don't I don't disagree, but at the same time, I also think um, this is. Uh, I know that there's there's other sides to a transfer as well. I guess from a Liverpool fans' perspective, I would say uh, it shows an element of intent from the owners they're willing to spend that amount of money on one player and then supplement those wages. But also um, there's, there are elements of mentality around that. Uh, I, I, I do find, I, th- I think it's completely bizarre that Liverpool are willing to spend 60 million on a player, which is a sort of a ba- barely an upgrade. I just uh, think it's sort of a toxic idea because if, if, if he comes in, and the same problems are there and the same exposures are still happening because like I said I think it's I think it's largely systematic the problem then then immediately the fans will more quickly turn on someone like Van Dyke and say well you weren't what we bought you weren't what we spent 60 million on and this that and the other and then that transfer can go south very quickly and and though yeah it might show intent as to Liverpool's aspirations maybe in the Champions League of the league the the money is better spent on other players farther up the field and that's really the issue for Liverpool is is the consistency and ability of their press and how they don't necessarily have as many players in that midfield role or maybe even farther forward when someone like Sadio Mane isn't available that that that's causing the real problems i guess the belief is also then that liverpool will also reinforce in those positions i mean you look at the transfer the other transfer this had today which is uh Salah as well which is um which is awfully of, expensive for someone that you're going to pay out of play out of position still a rumor that one Lawrence, i mean right it, i mean it, I, I suppose it is still a rumor it's one of those ones where it depends oh, which source the transfer up. banner turned into concrete news there but you end up that's not happening in this section you end up reading i mean uh what Again, though, Nico, are you saying play out of position in that you mean play not in what you believe to be his favorite position? Or no, I, I would say that I would say that if if Liverpool and like Adam said, you know, it's not necessarily concrete news, but if Liverpool really are going in for Mohamed Salah, I think that essentially fortifies or. or puts down a concrete idea that Liverpool will continue with the 4-3-3 formation for next season considering they have two wide players. And so both Sadio Mane and and Mohamed Salah like to play on the right. So that means if you're going to continue with the 4-3-3, which you kind of have to because you can't play a 4-4-2 with all those players in attacking roles, then... Or you have to rotate because you're in the Champions League. Mm, I don't think they'll be in the Champions League for that long. So, and What are you basing that on? My perception Big. of Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. <laughs> Big statements coming I mean, out. It, right it, now. It, I mean, I'm not. The thing is, I'm. I'm not. I, I don't sort of disagree with that. But the at the same time, it's presumptive to believe. I mean, first of all, it's presumptive to believe Liverpool will even make it into the Champions League, considering they have to play another side in order to get there. But let's, you know, indulge Liverpool fans for a second and presume that they do get through that round, um, and that team doesn't just sit back and then hit Liverpool on break. Um, and then that Jurgen Klopp will have worked on something tactically over the summer, considering that maybe what he wanted was some sort of break uh, and or maybe some sort of time to work on a, a system like that. Um, 
and then also uh, that obviously Liverpool are going to have to rotate. Obviously, the criticism of Liverpool was their their squad was very thin. They are going to need more people. They are going to need to rotate, uh, whether that be in the Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League, U, uh, EFL Cup. So is Salah a rotation player? No, he's not a rotation player. But if you're part of a squad where you rotate, then by definition, all players are rotated. Part of Jurgen Klopp's biggest problem is that it's very difficult for him to keep players fit over a season because of the way his system works and also the way that he trains them so intensively sometimes. And that has been a, a criticism of Klopp down the years from a number of people. Whether we disagree with that or not, we can't see behind the scenes. But the fact is Liverpool have had a lot of injuries this year and had to cope with that. The solution, therefore, either has to be that Klopp changes that, which seems very unlikely and it seems unusual considering that a lot of players seem to have bought into that system and so uh, in Klopp's mind the solution is to have a bigger squad which uh, frankly isn't an unreasonable thing considering that we saw Liverpool basically down to what most people considered the bare bones if not less considering their substitutes. But I think expanding the squad is, is far uh, more than just adding a few a few players, I think. Um... But, but that's obviously then he's obviously not just picking players out of nowhere. Virgil Van Dijk is obviously a solid signing. Whether you want to go for um, you know the, the transfer fee or not, he's obviously he was a standout player last season. And looking at the record of where Klopp tends to take players, you'd say again it, we're sort of picking on his weaknesses here. But he, you know he's not he's not the best coach, but at the same time he's very good at getting the best out of certain kinds of players. Um, and then if you look at Salah and you say they're playing a out of position, then actually we're looking at a manager who's played a number of players last season out of position, managed to get Liverpool into the top four and made all those players happy in that position to the point where James Milner, who came to the club and wanted to play exclusively in central midfield, is now talking to the Liverpool press and other press about his role in the future at Liverpool. And, you know, let's again remember that why he left the other massive club, because he wasn't getting played in the right position. And he's now very happy playing at left back and just playing a part for this Liverpool team. You'd have to presume predominantly because of Jurgen Klopp, because he certainly wasn't taking that opinion under Brendan Rodgers. And then uh, at the same time, we're also seeing Felipe Coutinho uh, change his position and experiment with new positions. Or, uh, dropping deeper into midfield towards the end of the season, and then. But I think that's a completely different scenario because you're you're right in saying that that Milner's someone that maybe wanted to play exclusively in central midfield and now is accepting a left back role. But Coutinho's the the role that he's been given is largely free, so it's it's more of a a, a gift as opposed to a sentence in, in that sense. But either way, they're playing in different positions. I'm not really arguing about why they're playing there. I'm arguing about how they're playing there. But it's, it's much easier to accept a, a gift than it is a sentence, isn't it? Uh, certainly so, but I don't understand why you think uh, James Milner's been sentenced. I don't think he prefers to play left back. I don't think he does prefer it, but at the moment he's not speaking about it as if it's a sentence. And he's speaking in a grateful way to Liverpool press and other press. So, Because where could he really fit into a Liverpool central midfield and be competitive if if he didn't accept a left back role? No, but that's not really the point with that. The point is actually that uh, Klopp could have chosen to experiment with him in central midfield. And he, you know what? There may be a time where he decides to do that because Milner's fitness isn't actually all that bad and his, his game management probably wouldn't be all that terrible in that position. But he obviously has preferable people in those positions. Um, you'd also then say that he's, you know, he's, he's worked with other players. Firmino adapting his position uh, just off the top of my head, I think he tried to adapt Jordan Ibe and worked out that he wasn't going to be able to fit him into this. So you'd imagine that when he's then picking other transfer targets, those people will be doing something different to what Jordan Ibe was doing or other players that he's trying to fit into those positions, uh, maybe Ajaria, uh, you know, maybe another um, uh, other set of young players. Uh, so, you know what, I'm not against the record that Klopp holds at Liverpool at the moment and if these are the players that he's picked and he can convince the players that Liverpool signed to be in those positions I, yeah, I, I don't quite see what the issue is it seems a little bit prescriptive from the outside of us to say well A. Salah's playing out of position and B. Van Dijk is a bad signing uh, albeit because of 60 million I still think it's not it's 
like I said, I think the issues lie elsewhere, and I think a lot but, of people but, are going to be upset it, with the with the idea that that he's going to come in and fix things. That's that that's the consensus when it comes I, to defensive signings. Yeah, that they're going to come I, in and fix things. I don't, I don't actually think that anyone at Liverpool. I mean, if anyone at Liverpool is saying that, I don't think um, they've listened properly to the manager in his press conferences. And at the same time, I, I don't think that anyone is expecting that um, one player is going to come in and, and fix a system. Although having your your system executed effectively is obviously something that a manager is going to favour, um, uh, and for that reason, I think Liverpool fans are looking at signing Virgil Van Dijk and also uh, maybe enjoying splashing that cash. And um, yeah, I think that there's an element of hypocrisy there if that is the case. We should probably talk about some other transfers, shouldn't we? Um, <laughs> I know it was, a, it, was, it was definitely a compelling case for how we analyse transfers. I mean, you know. Oh no, it's uh, very interesting. If you, I, I'd be interested to see where he does play sellout because, you know, I, I don't, I don't quite see. I, I agree with Nico. I don't quite see where he fits in. But maybe that means that one, someone moves more centrally, or Sadio Mane converts to right back. Let's hit here. The uh, the sweet smooth voice of Chris Hennage to talk about a very similar, uh, similarly ridiculous potentially transfer in terms of the fee. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, Chris, is on the move. He says he wants to leave Leicester. Uh, Fifty million pounds is the asking price. Bargain, mate. Have you seen how much Van Dijk's going for? It's ridiculous. Mental. And Arsenal are willing to pay it, Chris. Arsene Wenger says he's going to make signings. He's convinced he can make his side title contenders once again. And Riyad Mahrez is the man. To do it, is he not? Not alone. I, mm. I think mm. the thing with transfers is timing is so important. I think if they had signed him last summer, there would have been a lot more excitement and positivity around the situation because at that point he did feel like a world beer. This season, I haven't been as impressed with him, and I think he's been a little bit found out because teams have focused on him a lot more. And I also think his team, Leicester, haven't been able to really play that quick transition counter-attacking style, which I think was perfect for him, because what it allowed him to do was it allowed him to make the most of the space in front of him, which you know, for any attacker, whether it's it's Mares or, or Moussa Sissoko is a, a really good example, actually, of a player like that. It, it means they can... Um, do something really effective because they've got so much to, to work with. I think 50 million is... See, I mean, you know, figures are often plucked out of the air when it comes to this stuff. I wouldn't pay 50 million for them personally, but then I feel like sometimes I'm overly cynical on how much you need to, to pay for a, a top player. I'd be tempted to say 25, start at 25 and see what they say. Because I don't, I'm not convinced he's a game changer yet. Um, I'm not convinced he's a he's a difference maker in the way they need him to be. Because that's that's the key thing for Arsenal this summer is you can sign the Mara's types and, and Lamar's all you want, but you need game changers. You need players that that will actually grab games by the scruff of the neck, so to speak, and also ones that will define matches. Because I think that was the problem too often. If it wasn't Ozil, who is, I think, horribly inconsistent when it comes to stuff like that, or it wasn't Sanchez, who, well, given credit, is fairly consistent, then it didn't look like it was going to be anyone. What about a little bit of European uh, transfer banner? Uh, Munda Deportivo, the famously legitimate source out of Spain, claiming that Barcelona, Nico, are chasing Usman Dembele, uh, the Borussia Dortmund Usman. forward. Uh, they're saying Tuchel's gone, you know. Obama Yang, who he linked up with so well last season, uh, himself is off to PSG. It's time for Dembele to leave. Barcelona are going to tempt him over. Is there any reality? Is there any logic behind this move for the uh, for the Catalan club? I mean, he's 20 years old. He just got there, and he's had an excellent season. And I think he loves the club. So, I mean, not maybe not loves the club, but he loves his surroundings thus far. So I don't think it, there's there's much sense in him moving right away. But there's definitely a, an idea in him moving eventually, considering how talented he is. And he, he's an extremely intelligent player. And for a, a 20-year-old to take such a prominent role in a team that 
um, had such high aspirations this season and to some extent uh, not necessarily achieved all of them but but definitely made good progress upon them um, is an amazing feat and I think he's got, he's got everything right he's got the technique he's got the ability he's got the the physicality and then most of all the mentality in, in the sense that he's willing to work hard he's not um, I, I don't think he, he's he's stricken with that young petulance that we see a lot of, uh, of young talented players um, have, share a similar characteristic. So I, I don't necessarily see him going this summer, um, but I think he's more likely to move to a Real Madrid. I don't see where he would fit in this cur- than the current iteration of the Barcelona team, um, and, and Real Madrid would likely be in for him as the likes of Gareth Bale or uh, Ronaldo get older. Um, and that would only take a, one or two years, and I think that would be perfect for his development cycle um, at, at Borussia Dortmund right now. So I think him being where he is right now is the perfect spot for him. I think he knows that. I think the people around him know that. So I, I just think it's a per- perfect place for him right now. Well said. Um, do you think potentially the upheaval of Tuchel could convince him to leave? I mean, what is... What happened there? That sort of came out of the blue yeah. last week. I, I didn't I, I seem had, to see any confirmation of whether he was sacked, whether he left. Is there any sort of clarification? Yeah, I, I had this uh, conversation on my podcast um, with a, a guy that covers uh, Dortmund very well um, for a pretty respected uh, Bundesliga site. And, and he there, there's a lot of, I guess, ambiguity about it in some sense. Um, there was some chatter that the players didn't really like Tuchel because as good as he was sort of tactically, um, there were things that maybe he and his coaching staff did that didn't necessarily agree with the players. I know there was some mistreatment of the likes of Emery Moore where he didn't do something right in training and they made him like crawl on all fours and they sort of made fun of him. And then there was a shoving match between um, Obama Yang and, and, and a, and a, player of the technical or a coach of the technical staff there because of that um so there was some falling out between there it's not necessarily uh clear as to who or why um but i think him tuchel leaving isn't necessarily going to uh pull someone like dembele away from a club like dortmund because i think that's something that Dortmund and specifically other german clubs do extremely well is that the transfers that they make aren't dependent on the coach that that's there um the 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 club makes those decisions and and the coaches that they bring in and the people that they bring in for consideration um are i guess asked more to deal with the players that they current have and try to currently have and try to make the most out of that situation before entering the transfer market because obviously they have different financial circumstances than um the clubs that we're familiar with in the in the premier league i think if you see uh, one coach come in, then you can you can see five or six guys out, or or at least an attempt at that. Um, whereas in the Bundesliga, I think you're asked to sort of coach your way out of problems. And I think um, so. Yeah, I don't think that the that the departure of Tuchel is going to unsettle Dembele at all, especially since you know the players weren't said to have the most fantastic relationship with him, anyways. Speaking of Tuchel, uh, you're probably the most qualified. To answer this, Nico, given you've had an expert on your podcast, great plug, by the way. People should go and check that out. Uh, we'll, we'll leave a description, a link, I should yeah, say. Yeah, oddly enough, Dave calls it the, the weekly rondon, which I don't, uh, some sort of dinosaur. It's the weekly rondo, so. <laughs> Sounds like Dave. Dave occasionally gets his, his words. Occasionally. He has, he has it's letters one every there shouldn't be it's every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll try to be kinder to Dave there than you guys, but yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> weekly Ronda <laughs> Alfie Ramsey it's just only about Solomon Ronda it's very niche but you know it's uh, Alfie Ramsey some people like that you've got um, a question here from uh, from Richard Kinsella on Twitter he said where do use think Tuchel will end up next season uh, Nico is there anywhere you think he would perhaps suit anywhere he's been linked with really difficult question um, I guess the Arsenal club was the the best uh, answer that I could give previous to to Wenger signing the the two year deal. I, I'm not up to date really on on the managerial vacancies. There's not too many clubs out there that are big big clubs out there that have uh, have big vacancies. But I imagine I don't think he's going to come to England right away. I don't think it necessarily suits his style of play. Um, considering he's very Guardiola esque, except maybe with a little less efficiency in his attack. Um, but I, I think it'd be good for him to go somewhere like Spain or, or maybe stay in the Bundesliga considering his, his managerial progression. But I think he's a very talented coach. It's just we're not exactly sure what happened. Uh, everything that's been reported as to be, 
to between him and the players um, is is sort of alleged. And he had an extremely poor relationship with Watzke, who's the uh, sporting director or a, or a higher up at the club at Dortmund. So it's it's one of those things that I think I hope he can improve upon as he goes forward because I think he's extremely talented. Final question in the transfer gossip section. Um, tenuous link, but I'm going to try and make it anyway. Uh, John Shin, friend of the show, says, any summer plans for you gents? Because, you know, all the clubs have got their plans, signing players. What are summer plans? You know, what a great question. Uh, Lawrence, you got any exciting summer plans? Um, moving house, probably. Um, wow, really? Well, moving flat. What's happening? Uh, it's happening finally. Yeah, um, and then uh, well, where, where do I want to? I want to go somewhere sunny. This I want to go to a sunny island this summer, and maybe take some football trips. Um, I might go. I might go scuba diving as well. Wow, that would be a fantastic experience. Uh, it might actually be Brian teaching, <laughs> as in the truth, George. Of course, yeah, he is the man with the skills. He's the, he is, could... yeah, he is. Wow, okay, very exciting, very yeah. exciting. Um, Chris, have you got any exciting summer plans? None. Come on, there must you, you got to have something. There, there's something in the locker that you're excited to tell the whole the audience about. No, not a thing. Honestly, got nothing on the books. <laughs> Kristen doesn't share uh, nice things. <laughs> Just listening to old episodes of this, probably. That, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, that's pretty good. Uh, a summer well spent, you might say. Um, Nico, have you got anything exciting planned? Yeah, I think I'm going to go on a road trip with some of my friends here. Um, yes. We don't really know where we're going, uh, but America's, I think, probably one of the best countries to, to just take a car and really go around, see, see you know, get as far as you can. Um, I want to head out west since I'm here in, in Florida. Um, I want to see the Grand Canyon, so maybe I'll end, I'll end up there. I'll send you guys a, a postcard. Grand Canyon's lovely. Wow. That's have you been, Lawrence? Like I have. Yeah. Um, been to that part of the world. It's a lovely road trip. You'll have a great time. I've been there too. It's wonderful. Uh, wonderful. There you go. Yes. Two older guys saying you should take a road trip. It, mm, road trips are... that much older. Uh, Are we that much older? Yeah, Nico's pretty young. He said he's twenties, isn't he? Twenty-one. Uh, yeah, there you go. yeah, but I mean, we don't. We're in our twenties too, so. <laughs> good difference is name. Good point, Adam. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, um, you're in your early twenties, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, there are thereabouts. Um, it's only a number. Age is a number, Lawrence. Let's move on. Finally, there's one more question. Actually, there's one more question we should get to. I forgot. It's asked by Waldo. He said, even though he's not linked, so. He's literally making up the transfer banter now, Waldo. I respect that. How much could Bayern or Barcelona benefit from a signing like Cesar Azpilicueta this summer? Uh, said by some, wrongly, to be the best Premier League defender, Nico. Uh, could he do a job for one of those two big clubs who potentially need reinforcements in that position? Uh, I'm going to say no, because I think they would play him in a more traditional four-man defense. And I don't think he's he's someone that would thrive in that system. I think um, similar to, to sort of David Luiz. I think if you put David we, – we look at David Luiz as, as, as well as he did this season. I think he's a fantastic player um, when used correctly. Um, but these, these players, you know, the, the best – their best qualities, Cesar Pilicueta's passing and his decision making in that uh, realm, um, and David Luiz's sort of aggressiveness in, in the tackle and tackle and being able to go forward were sort of accentuated um, in the system that Antonio Conte played. And then their their fallacies, so Pilicueta's physicality and and I guess his lack of pace as as sort of a left back as he used to play, um, and then David Luiz's you know inability to to make the right decision all the time in a, in a system that's not going to cover up behind them um, were sort of, you know, cast away by the system that they played in. So I think playing him in a more traditional defensive sense wouldn't, he wouldn't look as near as good as he did this season, but um, in the current system that they are, that uh, they're excellent. So I, I think it's really more about how we use these players and how we perceive these players and how accurate that is as to the, the legitimacy of where, the, where else they would fit in. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the transfer section. Uh, let's come to our final section of the podcast. So finally, Chris, there has unfortunately been some very sad news in the world of football today. Yes, Czech Teote, uh, formerly of Newcastle, 
Twente Anderlecht, um, currently playing in, in China, has, has passed away sadly at the age of 30. Collapsed during training um, today, uh, playing for Beijing Enterprises. Uh, the spokesman for the club said it was with deep sadness I confirmed Czech Tiote sadly passed away earlier today after collapsing in training. We cannot say any more at the moment and we request that his family's privacy be respected at this difficult time. We ask for all your prayers. Lovely on Twitter today to see uh, so many thoughts with Tiote's family, to see so many people celebrating, especially that fantastic moment in that famous game against Arsenal, Chris. Yeah, that, I think that was the the defining moment for for his time at Newcastle. I mean, he, he did win the Dutch League as well. So he, he had a very solid career. I think he won the African Cup of Nations as well with, with Ivory Coast. He, it's, it's doubly unfortunate because it looks as if his wife is about to give birth to a child this week. Mm. Um, as for oh, as for him as, as a player and a person, I personally didn't know him and, and didn't meet him. I know teammates of his who spoke incredibly highly of him um and and as a player yeah I, I don't think he was ever the most technical that you'll see at the club but I think when it came to, to effort and and industry and, and representing a lot of the intangibles that fans appreciate he always gave that and and there was a point where I think he was was bordering on world class at, at Newcastle undeniably um in in general I think from the, the wider picture, it's, it's incredibly sad that we've lost someone so young, um, especially, I think, given the, the circumstances and all that kind of thing, because you have to think these kind of things are preventable. So it's, it's yeah, it's desperately sad for, for him and his family. Very sad um, thoughts with his family. Um, yeah, just horrible, horrible, horrible news. Let's finish there, guys. Um, thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Thursday. I think... I want to do end of season awards, Lawrence. Um, yeah, I'd love to do through, that. I'd absolutely yeah, love that. Sort of review the season, each give our own nominations, each give our awards, and sort of go through all the different categories. Maybe I'll put a tweet out either tomorrow, or Wednesday. So I'll ask, you know, because I don't just want to do you know best player of the season, goal of the season, all this sort of stuff. I want some different categories out there. Maybe I'll tweet out asking you guys for your suggestions. Hair of the season, you know, could, dab of the season, um, all that sort of good stuff. You know. Um, most ridiculous bet of the season, you know, maybe might yeah. be Dave's. He's oh, going bleach bomb very oh, soon, that's guys. Actually, Don't a good worry. point. Don't we worry. do need to. You know what? He almost Don't got worry. not doing. He, he blamed he blamed it on you guys on my podcast and said no. that he he has scheduled the the appointment twice and that it's you guys that haven't shown up with the video camera <laughs> to indeed no, do it. So have, that's what he said. Have, have sort of a point. He tells that, that, that story. Uh, <laughs> I think I don't think we need to say anything at this point. I somehow think we'll have the last laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the hair will do the talking. Yeah, we'll have. He who and he who laughs laughs last laughs blondest. <laughs> yeah, almost, almost. Um, until Thursday, um, I don't, he probably won't be blonde by then. But you know, it, it, we'll still tease him about it then. Until Thursday, guys. Uh, Lawrence, where can where can people find you? Probably should go and check out your other podcast. Interesting podcast. Uh, sure. I mean, you can go and check out the True Geordie podcast if you want. You can also go and check out. Um, or TGP, as some would call it. TGP, the TGP tour. Um, yeah, TGP. Or yeah, you can, I'm trying to think of where else you can check out my work. Uh, I'm finishing up a run on the BBC, actually, if you're a kid. Uh, I'm doing my final episode on Wednesday of the Jamie Johnson football podcast. Um, yeah, kids. Which is for kids and hosted by the BBC, so well worth a look there. Um, uh, is it like, you know, a Pixar movie where adults can enjoy it too as well as kids or is it strictly you know, you know, you know the age of five to ten no there are times where there are because there are obviously adults in the studio who produce it it's not like fully kid produced um and we often sit back and sort of go, oh that's actually really i'll sometimes just say like it's great banter um and the other adults in the room will agree so it is it's maybe it's worth a listen um worth a listen indeed uh there's also another podcast that's worth a listen, and that is the Weekly Rondon, yes. dedicated to Salomon uh, Rondon, Nico. What, what gave you the idea behind that? It's so niche. He, he uh, says it. He sa- he says it like that every time. He's even said it when he was talking about Ernesto Valverde and his affinity for the Rondo previous to like games and stuff for players to warm up. And he said he has an affinity for the Rondons. I, I just don't know what Dave is on. 
he just thinks it's called the Rondo. It's, it he just thinks really it's funny. Cool. I mean, it's quite sweet, really. Dave and I were filming today, and Dave <laughs> just just kept calling everything rhetoric, and I, it's just like. But I Dave, feel like Blonde wrongly, I do him a lot of favors, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's going to suit him in many ways. He, he kept talking about the rhetoric surrounding Real Madrid, and I was like, "What? Wait, what? <laughs> what did he? What did he? What was he trying to say?" Well, you know, uh, I think just ideas, but um, right, right, he's right. used the thesaurus. <laughs> he's definitely know, got a word of the day calendar, hasn't he? <laughs> he's the, you know, when Joey buys the encyclopedia that's just got things with V in it. Yes. Yeah. There seems to be some large protest at the end of my road. Can you hear those drums going? Can you hear that? I don't. Oh, I actually, uh, I genuinely thought you were making a joke about... Uh... Adam, give us a live update. Anyway. Um... Give us a live update. Sorry, I was, I've lost myself. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but you have got a genuine... It's, it's a weekly rondo. It's a weekly rondo, uh, yeah. It's the weekly yeah, rondo. Go search it on uh, your podcast app. Don't search the weekly rondo, but ser- or maybe search that. But search a ULF podcast. You get two other podcasts along with that subscription. They're pretty good, so so go and subscribe, please. The other Definitely ones on search good. the weekly rondo or the weekly rondo. Maybe it's going to work. Um, Chris, where can people find you until Thursday? Uh, the front three. Excellent selfless as always uh guys you can follow me at adam boltwood and me only there um yeah just do it just click on the follow there's so much fun to be had until thursday enjoy your football there's no football on between now and thursday is there serie b uh, serie b playoffs oh enjoy the serie b how could i forget enjoy the serie b playoffs guys see you on thursday